February 19th, 1999. It's been a while, right? Remember the 90s? Remember 1999 and all the hype about Y2K? What was going to happen? All of that? Well, around that time, on February 19th, I know that date because that's the day that I proposed to my wife. So I know that date. I, I, I can't. I'm not supposed to forget that date, right? Um, <clears throat> well, I guess I, could, I can maybe get by with forgetting that date. But not the anniversary. For sure not the anniversary, okay? So on February 19th, I proposed to my wife, to Kelsey. And I still remember I had the ring. I'd already purchased the ring. We had been talking about marriage and stuff, trying to figure things out, okay? And, and I knew, well, I got the little hint when her best friend sent me in the mail a catalog saying Kelsey, it was a ring catalog. You know, Kelsey likes this one. She doesn't like this one. She likes this one. I was like, okay, I get the point. <laughs> I'm tracking with you. I got this. And um, so I went and I purchased this ring. Didn't tell Kelsey that I had the ring. And I was hanging on to it. We were students at Multnomah Bible College, now Multnomah University. And we were there. And I remember she was sick. Okay, she was sick. And we were in the A-frame. And as we were sitting in the A-frame talking, we were talking about marriage again. Talking about, okay, we're, we're serious. Like, let's, we're talking about marriage here. And I so badly wanted to tell her, Kelsey, I got the ring already. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't just come out and just like say, oh, it's in the dorm room. Let me go get the ring. Couldn't do that. So, and, and plus she was sick. And plus... You know, proposing in the A-frame isn't the most romantic thing to do. <laughs> so I was like, okay, around 10.30, take her back to her house. She lived on Pacific Street. Dropped her off at the, at the house. I was a head RA at Multnomah. Went back to my dorm room. And, um, and then I just remember sitting on my bed. And I opened up my drawer, which kept the ring. And I just pulled it out and I just looked at it. And I thought, I want to get this ring on her finger now. <laughs> and, and so with all my maleness, I pick up the phone. and I just remember saying, Kelsey, it's me, Nathan. Be ready. Get dressed. I'm coming by to pick you up. I'm going to take you on a ride. <laughs> and she was like, uh, okay. And so I got my 1985 Toyota Corolla car, went around the block, picked her up at Pacific Street, knock on the door. Kelsey, you ready? Let's go. We drive down I-84 out to Multnomah Falls because in my mind, I was like, I'm proposing at Multnomah Falls. Now remember, this is 11 o'clock at night. Okay. <laughs> We're driving down, and remember my, 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 I can't even say, my girlfriend at this time, she was sick, all right? She's, she's been sick. And, and so we're driving, and as we're driving down the freeway, down I-84, she falls asleep. <laughs> and I'm driving down, and I've got about 20 minutes down this freeway to think, and I was like, just, I was doing a lot of self-talk. 
you can do this. Come on, you can do this. And I was also doing a lot of talk to the Lord. Lord, if I'm not supposed to put this ring on her finger, you let me know. You let me know. You got 20 minutes. <laughs> and we pull in to Multnomah Falls and, and we angle ourselves so that you can see the falls. And it was dark, but you could still, they had lights so you could still see the falls. We angle ourselves so we could see the falls and we sat there and we talked. And we talked and I told her a lot of things that I'm not going to tell you. But I basically said, Kelsey, I love you a whole lot. And some other nice stuff like that. You know, all, all of those things. And then I remember saying to Kelsey, Kelsey, would you just hang on a moment? I've got something in the back trunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I get out of the car, out of my side, walk around, go to the trunk, pop it open, pull out the ring, and I go to her side of the door. And as I go to her side of the door, this big semi-trucker comes and pulls in right along. And because he couldn't park this way, he parked this way, and his lights were shining right on us. And he was about three parking spaces away from me. And I felt like saying, get out of here. But all I could do is, in all my, quote, coolness, I just was like, uh, yeah, I arranged that right now for those lights to be shown on. And I just got down on one knee, and I said, Kelsey, I love you, and I would like you to be my wife. Would you marry me? And I remember Kelsey's response was something like this. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And I was like, Oh, oh my goodness, no. Oh my goodness, yes, or maybe I'll think about it. Help the guy out. I was like, what are you, where are you, what are you, what's the answer? And then she was like, yes, yes, of course, yes. I was like, oh, thank you. Good. <laughs> I remember being so happy. By the way, I got sick the next day. <laughs> I got the flu. <laughs> it was, now, not everyone has to do this, but that was our very first kiss. Uh, that's, that's, what I, that's what we did. Um, and so I got sick. <laughs> and it was way worth it. <laughs> it was way worth it. Now, can you imagine if Kelsey in her response would have been to my request, will you marry me? Could you imagine if she would have been like, Nathan, wow. Um, of course, I'd love to marry you. I'd like to live with you. I'll even serve with you. But I should let you know from the outset that I'm actually in love with another guy. Just thought it'd be fair to let you know. We, we can't even fathom that, can we? We'd be like, uh, Hello. That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't, that doesn't compute for us. But you know, when, when you think about it, for us in our relationship with God, that's kind of how we deal with God a lot of times. God, I, I want to, 
Okay, that sounds weird. I want to marry you. I'll be in a relationship with you. I want to live with you. I want to go to heaven. I want the privileges. I want the perks. I want the relationship with you. I'll even serve you, God. But you got to know this from the outset. I'm in love with something else. I'm in love with someone else. There's a whole lot of stuff that I actually really love, God. And you ought to know that from the get-go. There's this part, and though we don't say that, there's this part of us that communicates that. God, I want both. God, I want to love you, and I want to love my stuff. God, I want to love you, and I want to love the world. Because, quite frankly, God, just give it all to me. I want it both. But, but God does not work that way. And that's hard for us as evangelical Americans. Because we are people who tend to have it all. And we kind of have it as we want it. And so we think that we can approach God in the same way. God, here's the deal. Can we agree to this or not? Because our mind, our thought process is, God, I want it both. The love God hates. Wow. This last week, when I thought about putting that on the front of the bulletin and on the title screen of the message today, I was back and forth. I I seriously mean back and forth because I was like, ouch, That has a sting. The love that God hates, God is a loving God. And we like to talk about God's love. Is there a love that God hates? Hatred. That's, I don't like that word. And so I was back and forth and I even had this title, title slide made and then I scrapped and I was like, I'm not doing that. I came up with a different title and I was like, no, but why, why is there this part of me that says, has a hard time saying that there are, yes, there are some things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. This is what it says. Just listen. There are six things that the Lord hates. There's actually seven that are an abomination to him. Here's a list. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly towards evil. False witness who tells lies. And one who causes division among brothers or sisters. That is a list of what God hates. So there is this sense of God being honest and saying, hey, here's the truth. I'm speaking the truth. There are those things that I do not tolerate. And there is that list. So the love that God hates, is it possible there is a love that God hates? Yes, it is possible. Take your Bibles. We're going through the book of 1 John right now. 1 John, this is our third week in 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at just simply three verses this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible. Um, 
That means there's a Bible in front of you and the pew in front of you. And you are welcome to turn there. It's on page, well, I'm looking at page 862. If that's easier for you to follow along, find that Bible, 862. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. It says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Those are strong words, aren't they? Let me read those words again. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man or the woman who does the will of God lives forever. So, these three verses here, though they're short, they lay out a couple of things. tells us, don't love the world. It tells us what the world is. And then it tells us why we shouldn't love the world. So, I want you just to unpack this with me. Verse 15, it's saying, don't fall in love with the world. What's he, what's he talking about here? What's John talking about here? The Greek word that he uses is the word cosmos. Now, when he uses the word cosmos, it really, it could have three different, it could have three different um, ways to interpret that. World, it could be world as in do not love planet earth. Don't fall in love with planet earth. He, he, could, he could mean that because that could be a way to interpret this. But that doesn't really fit the context and that doesn't fit the context of Scripture. Why do I say that? God is the creator. And all that God made, he said this about, he put like this stamp on his creation. He said, it is very good. So why would God come back and say that which I've put my stamp on and said it's very good. Now I'm telling you not to love it. Now, yes, there is a sense of being careful that we do not elevate creation above the creator. But still, aren't we the stewards of creation? And so for John to come through and say, hey, don't love the world, a.k.a. I'm talking about the planet Earth. No, that doesn't fit. While the second option would be humanity, people. Don't love humanity. Don't love people. Isn't that kind of silly? Because there's so many other times in Scripture where it says, love one another. Or one of the, maybe, um, even if you don't have a church background, one of the most popular verses of the Bible would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world, people, cosmos, people. For God so loved people that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in the son, Jesus, has life forever. So what, God, you get to love people and I can't? No, that's not what he's talking about here. The third option, you're smart, you know where I'm going with this. This third option is exactly what he's talking about here. 
cosmos. It can refer to an organized system of evil under the rule of Satan. Referring to its teaching, its ideas, its attitudes, its activities that are opposed to God. It is a system of values and goals from which God is excluded. God, you are not welcome. Now, this is, this is, we have to be careful here as believers because there are so many things in this world that are okay. It comes down to how we use that which God has given us. And when we follow the enemy and believe that all of this stuff is going to help me feel better. I am falling in love with the world. John tells us. He says to us. If you claim to be in the light. You better live like it. Don't just claim to know God and then go live however you want. No, if you claim to be in the light, back it up by your actions. And then he says, if you claim to be in the light, you also need to love one another. And there's this contrast. And now there's this contrast. He's saying, hey, if you claim to love God, then you really cannot love the world. This is consistent with Scripture. Listen to these verses here. James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. Ouch. Ouch. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or mammon. Material possession. It it doesn't work. I wish it worked. Because quite frankly. There's a lot of stuff in the world I love. And there's a lot of stuff in the world that you love too. Don't you wish it would work? But Jesus is saying this, it doesn't work. You can't marry the two. You can't say, hey, God, I love you. Give me the stuff. It doesn't work. He's saying either you love the one and despise the other, or you love the one and despise the other. You can't serve both. You can't love both. Well, let's, let's look at this and let's think about this from verse 16. What is he talking about when he mentions the world? John is helpful here because he explains the world. He goes on and he explains in verse 16. He says, according to the NIV, he says, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. Think about that. Cravings of sinful man or the lust of his flesh. The Greek word here for cravings or lust is the word epithemia. It's, it's a word that was used in the New Testament. 
And it was used both in a positive way and a negative way. It was used in a positive way when, when Jesus sat down for the final supper, the last supper. When he sat down, it says that Jesus had a desire to sit down with his disciples for this final meal. He longed to sit down with them. He wanted to. There was a strong desire. It's the same word here. Epithemia. He's using that. That's a positive thing. But also can be used in a negative way. As it's used in Galatians chapter... Let me find it here. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 where it tells us to put away the desires of the sinful self. Put away the desires. It's the same word again. These strong desires. Because we are American, we tend to hear this word and we hear the word lust. And we almost always, just always automatically think of sexual temptation. Sexual promiscuity. That's exactly where our mind goes. Why? Because that's what we're bombarded with here in America. Well, when when he's talking about this and he says the lust of sinful man, the lust of your flesh. It's true. That includes sexual promiscuity, sexual temptation. He's talking about that, but it's not only limited to that. It's the thing that I have a strong desire to replace my relationship with God. And there are so many things that I can look to So many things that I can say, hey, God, I'm not trying to communicate that you're not enough, but really how I'm living my life, God, you're not enough. This relationship, this person is where it's all at. This is what I need. This will make me feel better. God, this possession, if only I had more, if only I had more money, God, I'd be better off. I need more. It can be a longing for position. God, I am just trying to do my best to work myself up that ladder of success at work. God, I need more. If only I had this. It's that desire. And there's this part of God saying, until you come to understand That only I can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. All of this stuff doesn't make sense. All of the possessions that you can accumulate, you will get nowhere. All of the relationships that you can have, you will get nowhere. You will wind up empty. All of the success you can get in the business world... If it's done apart from me, you wind up empty because this in and of itself, people, possessions, and position, it doesn't amount to anything. Yes, it feels good for a while. I remember hearing a few years back, I don't even remember who it was, but I heard a lady, a fellow believer, who was talking and she said something, and she she seriously said something like this. It was... Whenever I get down, all I need to do is go to the store and buy a new wardrobe. And I feel like a new person. 
Now, what she said is what a lot of people think and never have the courage to admit. Because we don't want to be like, uh, that's, I'm not that crazy. I'm not that empty. I'm not that shallow. But I really actually liked her honesty because I thought, how often do I feel discouraged? And I just say, hey, go buy a new pair of jeans and you'll feel better. Go buy a new pair of shoes and you'll feel better. And the older we get, the more that changes. Go buy a new car, I feel better. Go buy a bigger truck, I feel better. Go buy a bigger house, I feel better. Go on a better vacation and I feel better about myself. And in the end, yes, it feels good for a bit. But in the end, I still find myself longing for something more. Why? Because this doesn't satisfy. God, the creator of it all, has so designed that this stuff apart from him. I end up empty. I end up empty. Can I be honest with myself? How often am I looking away from the Lord? I would never say this, but how often am I looking away from the Lord to that which I own? To that which comes from the world? It's amoral. That means it doesn't have a positive or negative. But Satan can get me to believe a lie. And it's from the pit of hell. If only I had this stuff, I'd be better. Don't buy that. It's bogus theology. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This points to our covetous nature Seeing something and wanting it. I see. And now I want what I see. Isn't comparison a terrible game? You want to know one of the worst, one of the fastest ways to make yourself discontent? Compare. Compare yourself to the person down the row from you. Compare yourself to the person across the street from you. Compare yourself to your older brother in the family. Compare yourself to your younger sister in the family, whatever it is. Comparison. We end up losing every time. We do. Because it's all about what we see. Our heart and our eyes are very connected Guard what you see. I cannot help but think about an Old Testament passage. King David, mighty person. He's the king. And he's out on his balcony top. And he sees Bathsheba. She's bathing. I really have wondered. I asked myself the question, why was she bathing there? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. I don't have an answer, but I sure wonder. But I do know this. This is what scripture tells me David saw. And what he saw, he said, I want. And he's a mighty man. And so he told his servant, he said, hey, go get her. 
And the next thing, David is the father of a son. And now he's got more of a mess on his hands. And he is, he's taking Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, who has done nothing wrong. And now David is strategically placing him on the front lines where he should not be because he was way higher in rank than that. Putting him on the front lines to ensure his sudden death. David, he saw and his eyes were greatly connected to his heart. And it led him down the wrong path. Do your eyes leave you dissatisfied? What you see, does it leave you dissatisfied? Guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. Because what you see, it impacts this heart. It impacts who we are. It greatly impacts who we are. The third part of describing the world is the pride of life. This is arrogance that drives us to elevate ourselves above everyone else. It is working up that ladder of success. And in the business world, you know that the only way you do that, maybe not the only way, but one of the easiest ways to get yourself up is to put others down. It is pride, the pride of life. By nature, we are selfish beings. We don't need a lot of help here, do we? By nature, I am selfish. You are selfish. That's who we are by nature. Pride. Perhaps it's the root of all sin. It's what keeps me from God. And if I am with God, pride is also what keeps me away from him. My pride will keep me away from him. Well, John tells us not only not to love the world. He tells us not only what the world is, but he tells us in verse 17 the reason why we should not love the world. He tells us, let me tell you, let me just tell you, here's why you shouldn't love the world. His words, the world and its desires, they pass away. The verb tense that the Greek uses is really present tense. Meaning the world is already in the process of deterioration. Do you see it happening? We're already in the process. And if you look around, we see evidence of this all the time. We are in the process of deterioration. But John is also saying the world in its present form and the world and its desires are passing away. It's happening. And there is coming a day when it will fully pass away. So if I, if I, if I reject God or if I desire to have both, then Jesus says you really can't do this. And if I find my satisfaction in people or in possessions or in position... If that's where I find my satisfaction, then all of this in the end, it's done. It's not here. 
It's gone. And so what do I have? I'm left with nothing. And so John is saying, hey, I want to shoot straight with you. I want to tell you how it really is. Let me tell you this. The world, if that is what you are going to hang on to, if that's what you are grasping for, you better, be, you better understand this. It's passing away. It will be gone. So then my question, why do I sense the temptation to fall in love with the world? I would, I would actually love, I don't expect you to have an answer right now, but this next week, I would love to have you just send me a text, come by the office, send me an email, tell me. Here's some thoughts. Why do we, if the world is going to pass away, if it's going to happen, then how come me knowing that? Why do I get so rooted here? Why do I find the temptation to actually fall in love with the world? By the way, John is telling us this because he knows the truth of us. He knows believers. He's, he's addressing believers. He knows the temptation is here. He knows this is how I'm going to operate. And so he tells me, don't fall in love with the world. If you have thoughts, come by. I would love to hear your thoughts. I really would love to hear your thoughts. Let me offer you something. Since I've had a week to think about this. Just one part of it. I think we believe a lie. I think we've believed a lie. I I seriously think that we have believed, God, if I had more money, I'd be better. I seriously think we believe that. I think that we believe, God, if my friends would treat me with more respect, I would be better. If my peer group, no matter whether I'm 18 years old or if I'm 80 years old, we all have a peer group, right? If my peer group treated me better, I would be better. If only my spouse would just treat me with more respect, I would be better. If only my spouse could get himself or herself together, I would be better. I think we have believed a lie. I think we have believed a lie. It doesn't work that way. Again, there's nothing wrong with money, nice houses, godly spouses. Praise God for godly spouses. Nothing wrong with reliable vehicles. But when we believe they are the answer to our problems, I will find happiness here. We communicate to God. God, I really don't need you. I'd like to be married to you. I'd like to live with you. I'll even serve with you. But God, I need to let you know From the outset of this relationship, I'm in love with someone else. 
And we live that way. Sure, we'd never say it. We're far too smart for that. We're far beyond that. We would never say that. But when we, when we live that way, that is all we communicate to God. God, I want both. I want you and I want the world. When I make God my pursuit, God helps me understand the world in which I live in. And all of this stuff, the money, the possessions, the people, and the positions, all of this, I am able to navigate my way through it. Because as as I've been speaking, there's probably a part of you saying, yeah, but I need this stuff. I, I mean, I need this stuff. When my pursuit is God, God helps me better understand all of these other things in the world. He helps give me a filter so I can understand the relationships I'm in. And when a relationship doesn't work as as I long for it to work, I understand that it's not the end of my world because I'm anchored in God. I'm anchored in my relationship with God. Or if my bank account goes empty, my value hasn't changed because I am anchored in God. Or if I lose a position at work, I will be okay because I'm anchored in God. He's the one my heart longs for. He's the one I'm in love with. That's who I serve. That's who I'm going for. Can we guard our heart? Can we guard our heart? And can we be honest with ourselves about this? And I, this is hard. Can I just be the very first to say this is hard? This is just really hard because I love the world. Can I just be honest and just say that I am just, I have every fleshly desire that anyone else has. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that this isn't here. No, I long for the approval of people. I struggle with that. I find myself comparing far too often. And I, I hate that about myself. That, that, that there's, there's that struggle of, man, why did I fall trap again? It's dangerous. Years ago, God put someone in my life. And I think that he really put them in my life for a reason. Because they, they had a trucking business. And this was right around the time. Um, I'll share it. We've got a little bit more time here, so I'm not as in a big of a hurry. I wasn't going to share this, but I'll just... He, he was a trucker, and he, his business was, was based on, on filling his truck up. So this is right around the time when, when fuel went from like $1.50 a gallon to four fifty a gallon. 
You know what happened to his salary? Because all of the fuel came out of his pocket, his salary tanked. He lived one block from me. Fellow believer. Now, I'm saying comparison is dangerous. And so I can see some comparison in this, but I really felt like God put this person in my life for me to understand, Nathan, you have nothing to complain about. Would you just be grateful for what you have? And would you stop looking at all of this stuff in the world? Have you fallen trap to believing that the accumulation of that which the world has to offer is going to make our life better? If we have, we have believed the lie of the enemy. And John is writing to tell us that if we love God, we can't mix the two. We cannot live loving God and loving stuff equally. You can't marry these two together. So I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to be honest about where we're at. And then I believe a prayer that God longs to answer. I believe that God answers prayers, especially when they are according to his will. And this is according to the Father's will. So you can pray this with confidence. God, may I fall in love with you. May I fall in love with the Savior. That is a prayer. If that's your desire, that is a prayer that God longs to answer. Father, just being honest, that there are so many times where my heart falls in love with the things of this world, whether it's um, things that my eyes see, things that my own flesh longs for, or my own spiritual arrogance. Father, forgive me for that. I pray that you would guard my heart. I pray for our church family that you would guard our hearts collectively together. Father, I pray that we would fall in love with the Savior, with Jesus. May our heart be following after him. It is in his name we pray. Amen.